uh, uh, the same fame of true worship that a uh, 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 pastor has been ministering along. Um, and, and you know what, one interesting thing that as pastor has been teaching on this and has gone really through the history of God's presence uh, with man. We see God's presence with, with Adam and, and Eve in the garden and, and the connotation that's left to us in Genesis 3 that, that, that implies that God had a routine with Adam, that, that he would walk through the garden in the cool of the day and, and commune with them. And then, of course, we know what happened, that the, that the, the fellowship was broken, that, that, that man sinned and fell short of the glory of God and the connection was lost, but God wanted to uh, officially rekindle a connection with man that, that would allow him ultimately to fulfill his ultimate plan to redeem man back, to buy man back to himself. And so he got involved with a man named Abraham. And then uh, through Abraham, what was born the, the children of Israel. And then uh, uh, when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. And, and, and God spoke to, to Moses to, to build the tabernacle in the wilderness that, that, that was ultimately at the time that the place where the Lord would dwell. And he built it according to the pattern that he saw when he was up on the mountain. But the pattern that he was building after, he was building after the, shall we say, the real thing that's in heaven. And the book of Hebrews points that out to us, that, that uh, there's a heavenly holy of holies. And so the one that the Lord instructed Moses to build on earth was based on the pattern of the one that is actually there in heaven. Come on now. And, and, and then, and then we, we see Solomon's temple and, and uh, another place that was built and dedicated for the purpose uh, of God's presence dwelling with men. And, and then he went on to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. And then that Jesus, at the end of his ministry, when everybody thought, boy, this is just awesome. We've got God right here in our midst. And Jesus would make a statement, I'm going away and it is to your advantage that I'm going. Lord, have mercy. People would think, how can it get any better than this? But the Lord Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go because if I go, then I will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit to you. And then we, we see the next level of God's presence dwelling in men is be, uh, believers having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. But is, is that all that God wants? Or is there something even beyond that that God wants? Come on now. You're in 1 Corinthians 2. Let's start reading with verse 1. It says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Someone say demonstration. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in the light of this insight into the fact that the spirit of God doesn't just want to abide in us, dwell in us, and, and nobody knows about it. The Holy Spirit inside of us is not intended to be a secret. Hey, hey, the Holy Spirit abiding in us is not intended to, to be something that other people around you don't take notice of. So I, what I want to minister to you today is what happens when who's on the inside shows up on the outside. Oh, yeah. What happens when who's on the inside shows up on the outside and if we had a secondary title for it, it would be this. What the Bible says about doing things in the spirit. What the Bible says about doing things in the spirit. And understanding this, that the term in the spirit could really mean one of three things. It could mean 
in the spirit realm. It could mean in the Holy Spirit or in your human spirit. But, but actually, uh, I, I believe in a lot of places in Scripture, you have all three of those combined. Because you're a spirit. Where does a spirit operate? In the spirit realm. So you've got the Holy Spirit operating in the spirit realm. And if you, you've got you as a spirit, as a believer, a spirit with the Holy Spirit dwelling within your spirit, operating in the spirit realm. So we see the combination of all those three thoughts there. The, the, the spirit realm the Holy Spirit who operates in the spirit realm, and the Holy Spirit who's in your spirit operating in the spirit realm. So we see a combination of all three of those ideas when we use that term, in the spirit. And, and you know, the, the thought is this, that, that you are not just intended to be the station that the Holy Ghost comes to dwell in. Because the Holy Ghost is not stationary. If he were to just come in you and sit there and not do anything, that would be absolutely opposed to his character. One of the first things we learned about the Holy Spirit by the first mention of him, which is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. That means the Holy Spirit is in the moving. And not being stationary. But he dwells inside of you. So how can you reconcile those two things? Well, it's very simple. Uh, you are intended to be the, the station where he dwells. And yet he is not stationary. That's why you are not intended just to be uh, uh, one who hides the Holy Ghost within. But you are intended to be a manifest station. So where the one on the inside, because he's moving and because he's active, he's not just sitting in there. He's dwelling and actively moving through you and overflowing out of you so that other people can see what's happening as a result of the one who lives inside of you. Are you with me? Now, also understand this. This is the reason why we need to understand very clearly that even though the Holy Ghost comes to dwell in us at the new birth and that that's the moment where we become a temple of the Holy Ghost, this is why it's very important for us to distinguish between the two Holy Spirit experiences. Understand that Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, we, we use the terms interchangeably, talking about the same person. But, but, but th this is why we need to... Uh, understand that there are two Holy Spirit experiences that a believer can have. Well, actually, one happens when you initially become a believer. And, and that, that is when you are saved and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. That is called salvation. That is called the new birth, being born again. And we understand this, that uh, uh, Jesus in the, the Gospel of John made reference to uh, two water experiences and, and what one thing that's interesting about that is that the holy spirit often is referred to as water typified as water in the scripture jesus referenced in john chapter 4 where jesus was talking to the woman at the well and, and said that he that believes in me the, the the water that i will give them will be like a fountain of water in him springing up into everlasting life so Jesus talked about a fountain of water springing up in you into everlasting life. But then he talked about another water experience over in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, he made reference to this, that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow or out of his heart, the New King James Bible says, will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the spirit that those who believe on him would receive. Because at that time, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we see this well of water, this fountain springing up in everlasting life. And then we see the idea of rivers flowing out of you. Now for you to have the fountain is important because you got to have a fountain inside of you before you have anything overflowing out of you. 
But God's ultimate for you is not just to have a fountain springing up into you to everlasting life. God's ultimate is for that fountain to get to a point where it pours out, overflows, manifests. We read 1 Corinthians 2 talk about demonstration of the spirit and power, which means that what's on the inside is not just staying on the inside, hiding on the inside, but it's showing up on the outside so people know there's something different about you. Come on now. So, so we, we see two experiences, two water experiences, two distinct Holy Spirit experiences. One where there's a fountain springing up into everlasting life and one where there's a river flowing out of you. Now that says something to me about the way that God works, that God wants his presence not just to be bottled up in you. God's into manifestation and demonstration. God's into showing off. God's into letting people know where he is. And if he is inside of you, his ultimate will is to operate through you in a way where people around you can see God is with this person. God is in this person. God is operating through this person. Now, now it's very important to understand that because uh, uh, we as believers need to go with God as, as, as far as we can go with God. We cannot be satisfied with getting to a certain point and being content to be, all right, we're, we're, we're saved, we're, we're in church, we're, 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 we got our, our chair that we sit in every Sunday and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're doing all right. See, God never wants us to be content or satisfied when he's got something more for us. And the more that God's got for you, one step is this, realizing that he doesn't just want his spirit dwelling within you, but he wants you to be filled with the spirit because the idea is this, that what you're filled with, you will overflow. When, when you get filled, you, you're not, you see, when God fills you, he, he doesn't just fill you like almost to the top. When God fills you, he, you know, he's going to keep on pouring until you're overflowing the sides. That's God's method of doing things. He's not stingy. Oh, I'll tell you what, my cup runneth over. Does that sound like stingy to you? Come on now. We're talking about the way God operates. As a matter of fact, James 1.5 also reveals that part of the character of God. That when God gives wisdom, he gives it liberally. Your pastor John said, God's not up there with an eyedropper trying to mm, give you just this certain little portion. No, when God gets there, he pours it on. So that means when God fills you, he's not just filling you to the top. Because if you're filled to the top, there's one problem. It's good for you, but it's not benefiting anybody around you. But when you're filled to overflowing, what's that overflow for? What's that stuff that's spilling out of your heart, that river flowing out of your heart? What's that for? That's for benefiting others around you. Come on now. Hallelujah. And so we see this. And we see two Holy Ghost experiences, the new birth, when the Holy Ghost comes to dwell inside of you initially. And we understand from the scripture that no one can even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the confession of Jesus as Lord, which is a very key ingredient to being saved according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, that can't happen except by the Holy Spirit. So there is a work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. But then there's another experience called being filled with or baptized with the Holy Spirit that is a step beyond that. And that is one that Jesus very clearly uh, made a distinction. In John chapter 7, he talked about the rivers of living water as a reference to the Holy Spirit whom those that believe on him would receive. Now, those that believe in him, technically speaking, already have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. So he's talking about receiving an experience of the Holy Spirit that a believer, one who already has the Holy Ghost, would receive. As a matter of fact, uh, it's very clear even further on in Scripture because Jesus said in another place in the Gospel of John, talking about the Holy Spirit, he referred to the Holy Spirit as the one whom the world cannot receive. Well, if the world couldn't receive the Holy Ghost at all, then how could we get saved to begin with? 
So there has to be, according to scripture, two very clear Holy Spirit experiences. One where he initially comes inside of you to dwell in you, to temple inside of you at the new birth, but then one that only somebody who's already a believer can receive, and that's being the, the, the being filled with, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, where you got more than water inside of you now, you got water pouring out of you. Hallelujah. Now, why are we going through all that as a foundation? And the very reason is, is because God desires not only his spirit to dwell in you, but God desires his spirit to be overflowing out of you. God desires you to manifest what you're full of. Which is not a surprise. I mean, Jesus said in another place concerning our words, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what you're full of on the inside will show up on the outside. Well, God knows that. So that's why God has a plan to get you so filled with himself. So that himself is flowing out of you and spilling over into the lives of others where you're not just the one being impacted, but others around you are being impacted by the one who lives inside of you and is demonstrating and manifesting himself on the outside of you. Hallelujah. Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. Oh, this is, is going to fire you up, make you have a fit of some kind today. All right. So what does it mean to do things in the spirit? Because when we're doing things in the spirit, that means we're uh, him who is on the inside is showing up on the outside. So what does the Bible say about doing things in the spirit? We can't hit it all, but we can definitely give you a taste uh, of some of the things that the scripture says about doing things in the spirit. Hallelujah. Go to Galatians 5. Praise the Lord. Galatians 5. And the first thing I want to talk to you about today is walking in the spirit. You can walk in the spirit. Galatians 5. Those of you that are taking notes, you can make a reference to this. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 18. Paul talking about uh, his, his brother Titus. He said uh, to to the church there, he said, didn't we walk in the same spirit? Didn't we walk in the same spirit? Talking about walking in the spirit. Galatians 5, take a look at verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 25. It says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, one thing about walking in the spirit, uh, from from what I see here as the scripture describes it, especially in verse 16, walk equals lifestyle. Walk equals how you conduct yourselves. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Uh, In other words, since you're alive in the spirit, you might as well act like you are. You might as well walk like you are, conduct yourself like you are. And the, the interesting thing, the, the benefit of allowing the, uh, the, the overflow of the, the Holy Spirit to, to manifest on the outside. And, and so when you do that, it, it affects the way you live. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, the Bible says in verse 16, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's interesting, it's like, uh, uh, you know, God just hit it from a different angle. We understand that the scripture is full of things that very clearly tell you, do not do such a thing. But here, it seems like the Lord took a different angle on it, uh, 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 not different in opposition, but, but, but just a, kind of a fresh way of looking at it to say that if you do the thing you're supposed to do, then by default, you won't be doing the stuff you're not supposed to be doing. 
that if you walk in the spirit, you won't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Where our tendency has been, all right, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to do that. And in and, and, and our focus on that, we're always thinking about the this and the that's we're not supposed to be doing. But, but the great thing is that if you walk in the spirit, if, if you just go ahead and let that overflow affect your lifestyle, if you let the overflow of him inside of you who has filled you to overflowing, if you just let him affect your walk in your lifestyle and you walk that way and you live that way, then, then, then if, if you're busy doing the right thing, you don't have time to do the wrong thing and you can't be doing the right thing and the wrong thing at the same time. Hallelujah. So by doing the right thing, by default, you're not doing the wrong thing. And it's interesting that that God would give us that approach. That even though there's plenty of places in scripture, we're not denying that or setting that aside, that says do not do certain things. The fact that God, in this case, would put a little more focus on a thou shalt than a thou shalt not. That God would say, if you do this, thou shalt, then you won't be doing the thou shalt nots. Hallelujah. That's good news. Amen. And also, it's the same message that the Holy Ghost brings to us over in Romans 8, 13, that says this, that if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, now, how can we put to death the deeds of the body? How can we get to the point where we're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh and doing what our crazy body wants to do all the time? By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. As a matter of fact, think about this. If what you're full of and who you're full of shows up on the outside, let me ask you a question. What kind of spirit is he? What's his name? Can I hear somebody say, Holy Spirit? So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, which, like I said, can, can mean three things. You're, you're walking in a constant awareness of the realm of the Spirit. You're walking with an awareness that primarily you are a spirit before your mind and before your body. You are a spirit. And also walking in the Holy Spirit in the sense that the, 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 uh, uh, your, your spirit is not operating in and of itself. Your spirit is operating with the Holy Spirit dwelling within it. And, and so you have all those three factors involved. I'm walking with an awareness of the spirit realm. I'm walking with an awareness of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. And I'm walking with the awareness that I am a spirit with the spirit dwelling inside of me. And therefore, when, when I'm walking in that way and allowing him who dwells within my spirit to overflow, then, uh, then what, what's going to show up if you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? What kind of walk are you going to walk? You're going to walk a holy walk. Because what's inside, when it spills over, whatever's in there is going to spill over. So if you've got the spirit of holiness inside of you, then holiness on the outside is not going to be a difficult accomplishment as long as you keep yourself filled and overflowing with him who is holy, him who is the Holy Spirit, him who is the spirit of holiness, then the idea of living a holy life is not going to be a difficult thing. It's just going to be the natural overflow of who you got living inside of you. Mm, 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 mm. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So we're talking about walking in the spirit here. Let's go a little further. The Bible says you can love in the spirit. Listen, you're in Galatians, go to Colossians. After Galatians is Ephesians, and after Ephesians is Philippians, and after Philippians is Colossians. Go to Colossians 1. And I just wanted to uh, see that one little phrase in there. Uh, we're, we're not even going to read the whole verse. There's just one little phrase in there. I want you to see Colossians 1 and verse 8. And just like you can walk in the spirit, the scripture also says you can love in the spirit. Colossians 1 8 says, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Imagine that. Love in the spirit. Get used to that term. 
2 Timothy 1.7, another verse for those of you taking notes. That's where God said, uh, uh, where, where the apostle Paul said about God, that God's not given us a spirit of fear. Well, what kind of spirit is he giving us? A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. Galatians 5.22, where the apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. He said, the fruit of the spirit is love. And then goes on to name joy, peace, and long-suffering. But first on that list, love. Come on. Now, now the very idea of the Holy Ghost coming to live inside of us, what, what, what's the first thing that he does inside of you? Remember what's inside of you? Manifest, overflows to the outside. So if it's in there... You can expect it when the overflow happens that whatever's inside comes out. Hallelujah. Romans 5, 5. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So this spirit of love has, has poured out in our hearts the very love of God so that when you have an overflow of him who lives inside of you, what's overflowing? The love of God. The, 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 the Bible says, and Pastor John has taught it to us, he talked about this several weeks ago, the, the idea of being filled with all the fullness of God. Well, think about it. Who is God? How is God defined? God is love. So if you've got God dwelling inside of you, there's no way you can have God inside of you without having love inside of you. And when you're overflowing with God, what's pouring out the side? Love is pouring out the side. And when we become more aware of that, then, then we become less aware of what so-and-so did and, and how bad it was that they did and how bad it was that they said. And, and uh, I don't know if I can ever forgive that or forget that. When, when, when we become more mindful and more aware of the one who's inside of us and what's inside of us, who's inside of us, and allow him to overflow, whoo, whatever's inside going to show up on the outside. Love on the inside, the spirit of love, him who is defined as love on the inside, flowing to the outside. Glory to God. So walking in love and forgiveness does not need to be a struggle when you realize that you've been equipped to walk that way. Walking in love and forgiveness does not need to be a struggle when you realize that you've been equipped to walk that way. That, that God has not just given you a commandment to walk in love, but he said, I'm love and I'm coming to live inside of you. So if you, if you think, well, I just don't have love for that person. Wait a minute. What do you mean you don't have love for that person? Are, are you saying that the God who lives inside of you, who is love, is missing something? That he got something for the rest of the world, but that, that person, they're, they're a tough case. I mean, that, that person, they about bankrupted Calvary. You don't look out for them. Oh, the devil is a liar. The, the love of God's enough for everybody. I mean, I, we're glad about that. I mean, hey, hey, we, we know ourselves best. Isn't that right? We, we know what a mess we are better than we know what a mess anybody else is. I know personally what a mess I am. Glory to God. And I am so glad that the Lord took a mess and, and turned a mess into a blessing. Hallelujah. All right. So, so understand this also, the idea of being filled and overflowing with him is not a one-time occasion. That's very important. We, we see a pattern of that in the scripture because we see the same crew that was over getting filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 also referred to as getting filled with the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 4. Well, uh, it, it reminds me of the famous words of our founding pastor who said, the reason you need to get refilled with the Holy Spirit is because you leak. And so, you see, see, we're, we're talking about having refreshers along the way. I love the words of, of David when he said in the psalm, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I tell you, like your car needs an oil change, we, we need oil changes regularly. We need some fresh oil to be anointed with. We, we need to stay fresh and, 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 and stay filled. 
and understand that this is something that is a, a continual experience. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5, that tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, scholars have said about that verse that the one way it could actually be written today would be to say, be being filled with the Spirit, or be continually filled with the Spirit. That, that implies certainly not a one-and-done event, but an ongoing process. Can I say, can, can I hear an amen? I say amen too, but I want to hear one from you. All right. So walking in the spirit, loving in the spirit. Now let's go on a little bit more. You can have genuine, scripturally based experiences in the spirit. Ooh, that's a mouthful. You can have genuine, scripturally based experiences in the spirit. Why am I using all those words? Because if I just say you can have experiences in the spirit without qualifying that as being genuine and scripturally based, then you can just have any weird experience you want to have and put the Holy Ghost name on it. And it's interesting, God always calls the church to balance. You understand that. God always calls the church to the middle of the road and it's us that would usually hop into one ditch or the other. And people that in some cases what want to have experiences with God so much that they just take anything. If, if somebody's acting like a total nutcase and, and put God's name on it and saying they're having an experience with God. But, but then in an attempt to get away from being identified as being nutty, fruity, or flaky, we go to the other side and, and, and we're not experiencing nothing. But I want you to know that, that the life that God has called us to live in the spirit is one to be experienced. It's not just a theoretical thing. Yes, amen, God lives inside of me. <laughs> see, see, if, if this is only some theory or s some fact that doesn't mean anything, then hey, come on now. What, what, what kind of fulfillment are we getting in that? God intends us to experience him. God intends us to experience him, have genuine scripturally based experiences in the spirit. You know, it's great. I, uh, you can write this down. These are our own revelation. You write Revelation 1 verse 10, Revelation 4, 1 and 2, Revelation 17 verse 3, and Revelation 21 verse 10. Let me hit that with you one more time. Revelation 1 verse 10. Same book, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, chapter 17, 3, and chapter 21, verse 10. And it's interesting, John uh, on the Isle of Patmos says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and as he was in the spirit, what happened? He said, I heard a, a loud voice, the sound of a trumpet behind me. Come on now. And then he, he heard a voice that said, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this in, in chapter 4. And he said, immediately I was in the spirit. And then he says in chapter 17 that he was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. Chapter 21, carried away in the spirit to great and a high mountain. And you might say, well, Pastor Ray, that's all right for the apostle John, but I'm not writing an apocalyptic prophetic book. I'm just me. And you see, he was having these experiences because he's writing the book of Revelation. Well, wait a minute. Let me tell you this. Why don't you oh, open your Bibles to John chapter 16? Go to John chapter 16. And you see, in all of these instances where John was in the spirit, what was the Holy Spirit revealing to him? He was revealing to him something that was to come, something that had not yet taken place that would be taking place. And you know what? Scripture's already written, so I'm not telling any one of you that the Lord's going to come on you to go ahead and write another book of Revelation. Because I ain't going to read it. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but but I, I will tell you that there is a, a genuine uh, uh, side of experiencing God, especially when it comes to seeing things that have not yet been. And you don't have to be a prophet to experience this. John chapter 16 and verse 13. 
John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. I want you to know that that part of him who's living on the inside of you and overflowing on the outside of you, part of his ministry to you is to be able to tell you, to be able to show you things to come, things that are coming down the road that aren't here yet. It's amazing. Uh, what one of uh, my mentors, one of Pastor John's mentors, uh, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, would often say this, that it is possible for your spirit to know something before your head knows it. That your spirit can know something that your head doesn't know. You, you don't have any, uh, uh, in, in this natural realm, evidence that you can point to to say, this is how I know this is coming or this is how I know this is going to happen. But in your spirit, you have knowledge about something that's going to happen before it happens. Is there anybody in the house besides me that's ever experienced that before? I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, part of his ministry, part, part of what happens when he starts showing up, because he's not in there. He's not, he's not a spiritual hitchhiker taking a ride with you through life. He is in there to manifest himself, to demonstrate himself. He is in there for you to experience him. And part of that experience is for him to show you things to come. Things coming down the road that you need to know about so that when you get there, you're ready for it. My, 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 can you think about the advantage that we have in this life when we've got somebody dwelling inside of us who doesn't just know everything that has been and doesn't just know everything that is, but also knows everything that is to come and doesn't mind sharing with you pieces of the pie that is still to come that you need to know about so when it gets here, you're not surprised you were ready for it you were prepared for it and when it gets here you can say bring it on I've been waiting for you hallelujah now let me hit you with something else Uh huh. number three was you can have genuine and scripturally based experiences in the spirit well how about this number four you can go Places in the spirit, even when you're not physically going there. Someone say, oh, Pastor Ray, you're getting real deep and far out now. You can go places in the spirit, even when you're not physically going there. Well, what kind of scriptural basis you have for something like that? I'm glad you asked. Go to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. And while you're doing that, I'm going to refresh myself. You can go places in the spirit even when you're not physically going there. Colossians 2, Paul said this. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So think about this. He said, I'm absent in the flesh, but I'm present there with you in spirit. And then he talks about seeing something there. Well, how can he see something there if he's not there? Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. How can he see something? He's not there. But he's there in spirit. And so because he's there in spirit, he has the ability to see things even though he's not there physically. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 3, you don't have to turn there, but Paul basically said the same thing about another situation. Uh, uh, this was, He was dealing with the Corinthians about the situation of this guy who was shacking up with his stepmother. And uh, uh, he, he, this is what he said in verse 3. He said, I indeed as absent in body, but present in spirit. Oh yeah. Have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. Talking about that man I made reference to. So here, we got two instances of the Apostle Paul talking about, I'm absent in body, but I'm present in spirit. And having an awareness of what's going on in both cases, even though he's not physically there. Woo! 
Now think about this. We got some, some Old Testament references in, in the ministry of Elisha that, 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 that carry the same connotation. Over in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, talking about the prophet Elisha, we have the instance where, where the, the Syrian army, the, the king was getting upset because every time they would go somewhere and be lying in wait for the Israelites to show up, the Israelites would not show up. And they went somewhere else and would expect the Israelites to show up so they could jump on them and the Israelites aren't showing up. And, and, and so the, the king of Syria said, there must be a spy among us. There must be somebody who's working for the king of Israel. And somebody spoke up and said, no, there's no spy. There's a prophet named Elisha who is telling the king of Israel the conversations that you're having in your bedroom. Well, 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 well. Now, am I telling you that you're going to have everything that operates in a prophet's ministry functioning in you? No, I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you this, that, that, that there's more in this area for you to experience than you've experienced yet. Hallelujah. Now, what also happened in the, in, in the ministry of Elisha? It's the, the chapter right next door, chapter 5. He, uh, uh, he, he just ministered uh, uh, healing uh, to a, uh, a man named Naaman who was a Syrian and he was a leper. And he, uh, Naaman received instructions, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He did so and came back and he was all fresh and clean like a baby. And said, Elisha, I got to give you something for, for all this wonderful, uh, the, this miracle that's happened in my life. And Elisha said, no, you're not going to give me anything. But then his servant got this, Elisha's servant got this very bad idea. Said, well, maybe I can go and, say, and, and come up with a little story so I can get something out of the deal. So, so Elisha's servant went and ran and caught up with him and said, oh, by the way, Elisha didn't want anything. But there was two sons of the prophets that came by. And he said, even though I won't take anything for myself, I will take something for these young guys. Told a lie, and Naaman, so thrilled to be healed, said, Well, you can take this and this and this and this and load it up with some stuff. And then uh, Elisha's servant headed back to the house. And Elisha came over and said, Hey, where you been? <laughs> Elisha's servant said, I didn't go anywhere. And, and what, what was his term? Uh, he said, uh, Did not my heart go with you? The King James Bible says, Didn't my spirit go with you? When you went down there and pulled that prank. Come on now. I, I, I want you to know. That the, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, now, now there are things. And, and where's the line? Here's the thing. Like I said, I'm not telling you that, that all of you are going to function in, in the ministry of a prophet. But, but God also knows that there's things regarding your life and your household that you need to know. And i tell you this, you get tuned into the Holy Ghost and, and, and allow him to work in this area. The Holy Ghost will tell on your kids when your kids are messing around, when they're in trouble, when they're getting into stuff. I'm telling you right now, the Holy Ghost will tell on them and you'll go and talk to them about it. And they'll say, what? What? And they won't have any idea how you ever found out such a thing or how you ever even had a clue about it. But I'm telling you right now, how's this going to function in your life? I believe number one way is right there. The Holy Ghost going to tell on your kids. And what a great way to instill the fear of God in young people. Because I'll tell you, when, when young people figure out that God knows everything and is telling their parents about what they're doing, they, they're going to start doing the right thing and quit doing the wrong thing. Because they, they know, I mean, if I do it, God's going to tell me, so I'm going to stop doing it. I'm not going to do something that ain't working. Come on. Uh, just a little fun with you today. But it's more than just fun. It's reality. I'll tell you what, you, you know, and, and, and I, I, I just share this experience with you. When you need to know something, God can make sure you know it. There was two cases Two cases dealing with the same person. Why got pocket dialed? You ever been pocket dialed by somebody? And most of the time, if you pick up, you hear, you hear all the background noise. 
Or if you got it on your voicemail, you, hear, you heard the same thing. But in two cases, I got pocket dialed by somebody and it landed up on my voicemail. And boy, I tell you what, you cannot wake up early enough in the morning or stay up late enough at night to tell me that the Lord didn't nudge the button to give me that call. Because that provided me information that I needed to have that needed to confirm some things in me that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Now, God don't always use a cell phone, but that's one case where he did. Because if it's just background noise, you can say that's a coincidink. But I tell you, when it provides you information you really needed to have, you say, thank God the Holy Spirit was working on my behalf, looking out for me, showing me some things I needed to know about. Woo. Well, we got, we got so much to hit and so much, so little time. But if I can share just a few more things with you today, it would be this. What does the Bible say about praying in the spirit? And what does the Bible say about worshiping in the spirit? Praying in the spirit. And worshiping in the spirit. Where you're praying. Because there's an overflow there. You're filled with. You're filled with him. And and it's coming up in your prayer life. Ephesians 6.18 talks about praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And I want you to know today, and I believe this with all my heart, that praying in the spirit does refer to speaking with other tongues, praying in other tongues, but that is not all. I believe that the Lord knows how to give you a Holy Ghost inspired prayer, even in your known language. There's times where I found myself praying for somebody and they say, boy, you just prayed for me exactly what I needed to to have prayed about. And I had no knowledge of it, but the Holy Ghost allowed me to be able to pray a prayer in the spirit that was even in my own language. And there's times, oh, I tell you, you cannot discount the value of praying in the spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, talks about, uh, I will pray with the spirit and with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit and sing with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14 also mentions about speaking in other tongues, that when you're speaking in tongues, you're not speaking to men, but you're speaking to God. And in the spirit, you're speaking mysteries. Praying out something that you don't know. And I'll tell you, there's one thing that I always share with our new members class, but it's just too good of, a, of an illustration of this to pass up, to think that there was somebody uh, uh, who was a former member of Faith Christian Center, fell asleep one night about 10 o'clock watching TV, and then woke up at 10.50 with an urge to pray. Didn't know what to pray for, but just had an urge to pray. Got to praying in the spirit. And shortly thereafter, got a phone call because his stepdaughter was at the station nightclub on the night of the fire. And what happened is that she was there with two other individuals. One of those individuals she was with was still on the inside where she was. And one of those individuals was on the outside. And in the madness, think about what happened. In the madness of everything that's going on, the person on the inside found her and put her on top of the pile of people scratching and clawing to get out the door. And then right at that moment, the person who was with her on the outside immediately saw her place there and took her and brought her to safety. Someone say, ha, 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 my goodness. Praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. It's that overflow because keep this in mind. The person who dwells inside of you knows everything. And knows how to lead you and direct you, even when you don't know something. But if you need to know it, he knows how to get it to you. But we need to learn how to, how to flow with him and how to enjoy and fully take advantage of what we have and who we have 
inside of us. And worship in the spirit. I want to close with this. Go ahead to two openings, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Now we know that in recent time, Pastor John has taught us about true worship. And he's gone to John chapter 4 to the statement where Jesus talked about uh, uh, the, the days coming where uh, it, not in this mountain here nor in Jerusalem is going to be the place to worship. But that those that worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth because the Father seeks such to worship him. So we understand that in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? We're going to see it in a minute. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Ephesians 5, take a look at verse 17. It says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, before you start speaking to one another and and making melody, what's he tell you to do? He says, be filled with the Spirit, right? You see it? All right, keep that in mind. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. Let's read it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, in Ephesians, before they started uh, speaking and singing and making melody, they were told to be filled with the Spirit. And then in Colossians, before he got into uh, uh, the, the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs and the singing, what did he talk about? He talked about this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, what's the word of Christ? Remember, his word is truth. Uh-huh. His word is truth. How do we worship him? We worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, this is the connection. That if we, being filled with the spirit and being filled with the truth, are in a position to sing songs, to minister to each other, then our worship to him will also be the result of us being filled with the spirit and being filled with the truth. And what we're filled with is going to overflow as the perfect worship that he and he alone deserves. Because what you're filled with will pour out. And if it's going to pour out in the sense of your ministry to each other, then I want to submit to you this very day that the very thing you're filled with, if you're filled with the Spirit and you're filled with the truth, and then you pour out yourself to the Lord and what you're filled with on the inside shows up on the outside, what kind of worship is that going to be? That's going to be worship that is in spirit and in truth. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Someone give God some praise today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.